Hey guys, this is John Herring. I work here at Brownsbridge and I go to school at Point University. One of the things that really stuck out to me in Van's message is that for me to be able to give grace to others, I have to first be able to accept God's grace. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Hi guys. How's everybody doing? Good. My name's Van. Um, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a husband to Wendy. And I'm a daddy to Sarah Ashley and Carolyn. So now I've, you've met me. Your turn. No, I'm just kidding. Don't. Um, I am super excited and super nervous to be speaking in front of you tonight, not because this is the first time I've ever spoken in front of a crowd. done that lots of times. But it's because of the responsibility of what I've been given tonight, and that is to share some stories with you about somebody I love dearly, and that's Jesus. And I remember being in college, and I wish I had had somebody share with me the stories of Jesus. And so I got really nervous. And so when I get nervous, I want people to pray for me. And so I got on Facebook earlier this afternoon and said, hey, I'm speaking in front of the coolest college students around and I'm I'm delivering this message. It's going to talk about Jesus. And I just, could y'all pray for me? And of course I got the friends that would say, absolutely, I'll I'll pray for you. Oh man, you're going to do great. They're going to love it. Oh, you're going to, you're going to kill them. There's so much killing in church when people speak. If you go to conferences and stuff and you get on Twitter, like, oh, so-and-so killed it in there. Lots of killing trying not to kill you guys. But then I had a friend, we'll call it a friend. Actually, she's really sweet. She's in her 60s. um, And I can hear Patsy talking when she said this. She said, oh, honey, you're just the lost donkey that Jesus rode in on. Did she just call me? Okay, okay, I'll back up. All right, I'll go with that. That's right. Jesus had a donkey he rode in on. Okay, all right, bring in the word. That's good. And then a buddy of mine, we'll call him a buddy, sent me this clip, and it was, um, it was a guy by the name of Rich Mullins. He's a singer. If you don't know who Rich Mullins is, your parents didn't raise you right. You need to go listen to Rich Mullins' music. But he's given a concert. He's a Christian guy and stops the concert, and he shares this story of when he was in Bible college, and he had this professor on his first day in class who said, hey, you're going to forget almost everything you learn here, but I want you to remember one thing, and i got to read this because this was pretty good. He said, in the Bible, there's this guy named Balaam that was saved through his donkey. And what he meant was, and the way the professor said it was, God revealed himself through Balaam's ass. And he's been speaking through asses ever since. This is a college, Bible college professor. And he said, so, if God should choose you to speak through you, you need not think too highly of yourself. That was the encouragement that I got tonight to speak in front of you guys, and I appreciated it because it is a big deal to be bringing the word to you guys. But I wanna make sure as I'm talking that if I bring up a point or two that you agree with, that you, it resonates, that you appreciate, in big church, you know, on Sundays, when, from the big stage, when, when somebody makes a point, you'll hear it, you hear these, this mooing, I guess it's a Forsyth County thing. And all of a sudden, like if somebody's agreeing with the speaker, you'll hear, mmm. <laughs> and so I thought we would raise the hipster level up just a little bit tonight, that as I'm talking, if you hear something that you agree with, that you do finger snaps. Can y'all do this, finger snaps? Okay, now there's different levels of finger snaps, right? If you just hear something that you kind of agree with, you can just do one finger, right? Or if, you, if it resonates more, you'll do two. But if it really resonates, you'll do this and you'll go, mm, preach, preach. 
Now, I'm not saying y'all have to do that tonight because I know who I am in Jesus. So if you don't lift me up that way, I'm okay. But I want to practice. So I want to give you some examples of some one finger snaps some two finger snaps and the preach snap. So here's, if I were to say, I'm going to say this phrase, it's going to be something that would resonate and you'll give one finger, okay? So if I were to say this statement, well, it's really fun to watch people try and pronounce AJ Alba Wabba Labba's last name. <laughs> right, all right, that's a one finger snap. So a two finger snap would be, if I made the statement like, I mean, peanut M&Ms are remotely superior to regular M&Ms. That's a devil. I even got to preach on that one. But the, the finger snaps with the preach would be a statement like, today is my wife Wendy's birthday. Preach. Preach. So, All right, all right, all right. Preach. That was great. Thanks, guys. Love you, Win. So, um, so that's your marching orders tonight. So be ready to be participatory, or if you're a Sherlock Holmes fan, participatory. All right, either way. Um, but let me pray for us, and then we'll get into the talk. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I've never been so ready to be a donkey tonight. Um, that as people have gathered here, and I don't know where they are, I just know where I was at this age, and it was so far away from you. And so if there's anything that you've got to give me tonight that they can walk away from knowing you better, I pray that that happens. I'm so thankful for them that they're gathered here. I'm so thankful that they took time out of a busy Forsyth County Tuesday night to come here when there's so many other things they could be doing. And so may I manage your word well, and uh, may we reflect your glory in all that we say and all that we do. Amen. So, have you ever been on a two-lane road and you are completely 100% dependent on your headlights? And there's a lot of those in Forsyth County. A dark two-lane road, you're trying to get where you need to get to, you're doing what you need to do, and as you're going down that road, across the hill and down the way, we're gonna call him the idiot, the, the moron. You get this coming at you in your windshield. Now, you were just minding your own business. You were doing what you needed to do, and then this moron, and it's always a dude. I don't know why I always reference this and make the guy in the car a guy, but he's like, what? I can't see a thing. And I don't know about you guys, but when I get this, I know what I do right away. Does anybody else flash their high beams right back at them? Raise your hand. Oh, come on, that many people are lying. Okay, so you do that, you flash your high beams because you're a little agitated and you got, your pride says, hey buddy, your high beams are on and you want him to know. That is the most aggravating moment. And we know what happens when, this, when you hit those high beams right there. Whatever is agitating you personally in your life is all of a sudden magnified. And your fury and your anger is based on exactly what you're dealing with five minutes before you got in that car. You can stop the loop. So 
And we have lights. Yeah, we do. Okay. So I want to talk tonight about those high beam moments in our lives. I don't mean driving necessarily, but I want to talk to you about the high beam moments we have relationally a lot of times. Because when that happens, what we're dealing with, when we go off on that driver, is because we're dealing with something relationally. We just had an argument with our boyfriend or our girlfriend. And that high beam moment is magnified. I'm not necessarily talking about the high beam moment in your car. I'm talking about you're just walking into school and all of a sudden somebody says something and you go off because they're the high beam person in your life at that moment. You were doing what you were doing, you were minding your own business and all of a sudden they say something and bam, I just wanna strangle somebody. Dude, what's your problem? You are my problem. You're my high beam moment at this time in my life and I would very much like you to get out of my face. For most of my life, that high beam person in my life was my dad. And he knew every button to push in my life. I don't care how good of a day I was having, I could see Warren coming, those high beams are on, and I knew it was gonna be an argument. I spent the most of my life trying to make this guy happy because he was my dad and it never failed. I could never do anything that would make him happy where he would tell me he was proud of me. It was a struggle day in, day out to make this man say, I love you. I rarely, rarely heard that. And so we had some major clashes over the years because he had his high beams on when I thought, buddy, I'm doing what I need to be doing. You're being a jerk. You're being a moron. You're being an idiot and you're setting me off and now I don't know what to do. So going back to the car analogy, there's actually something we should do when we're driving a car and high beams are coming the other way. It's not to yell, it's not to scream, it's certainly not to flash our high beams back at the other car because now you have two blind people going at least 55 miles an hour. Not a good scenario. Here's what we should do. We should slow down. We should focus on the white line on the side of the road to guide us. And that is critical in those moments. It can be pretty scary. Some of these dark roads in the rain, at night, in Forsyth County, you just can't see. And especially when those high beams are coming at you. Take a deep breath, slow down the car, find the white line and let that guide you. Let that be where you focus. Let that be what might save your life because you can't see because of the other jerk, the other moron, the other idiot. That white line, do some of you even know that that's really like what you're supposed to do? Like some of you go, I need to write that down. Next time I have a high beam guy coming to me, I'm gonna look for the white line. Well, for me, personally, my white line in life from the time I was born till the time I was 22, that white line tended to be culture for me. When I had things that I thought I needed to like concentrate on and have something to focus and have something to center, I was depending on the world. I was depending on what my friends thought were cool. I was depending on what was cool to wear at the time. My guide was this lost world that said, no, 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 it's really cool to wear parachute pants. It was never cool to wear parachute pants or glowing neon anything, but that was the 80s that I grew up in. And I grew up with a society that told me so many things were okay to do, even if you weren't of age. 
And I listened to that. That was my white line. That's where I went to for a guide in my life. And that did me zero favors with dealing with my dad. Because I heard the world say, screw him. Dude, just move out. And the Sunday morning, he tried to get me to go to church for the umpteenth time, and I told him to go to hell. I had a buddy come and pick me up. He said, hey, dude, you were justified in that. Just move out. And so it was on. Like, my relationship with my dad was the worst it had ever been. And I was leaning into culture. I was leaning into what the world said to do. And it was doing me no favors, even though that was my white line at the time. Well, I don't know what your white line is and what you depend on day in and day out to get you through those high beam moments and those high beam people in your life. But 23 years ago in August, my now wife, my then fiance and I were looking for a very pretty church because we were gonna get married and we were real excited, but we didn't know Jesus. We just knew we wanted a pretty church and this was before Pinterest weddings. We just wanted somebody, we wanted our friends to come and go, oh, look how pretty everything is. That was our desire. And we found this guy who had a pretty church in our hometown. And he said, absolutely, you can have the ceremony here, but you need to meet with me and go through this premarital counseling and then we'll let you have our building. So I did. And Bob introduced me to my new white line. And it was this guy named Jesus. Now, that didn't change my life. That didn't change my relationship with my dad where all of a sudden the next day we weren't having clashes. It was another 12 years of clashing with my dad, even though I met Jesus, even though I had a new white line. Even though I had the white line, I had no idea how to get close to it. I just knew that if I died and I was standing in front of heaven and God said, why should I let you in? All I could tell him was, I think I'm a pretty good guy. And Bob, our pastor at the time, explained, that's really not how that happens. And he walked me through the salvation story, and I gladly gave my life to Christ. And then I had to tell my then girlfriend, fiance, hey, we probably can't like spend the night together anymore. Because that's what society said was okay. And she was like, <laughs> I don't know about your new white line. Because that's not where we are right now. And thankfully, over a few months later, she came to know Jesus, and she had a new white line. But like I said, it wasn't an immediate change. There was things in my heart, like all of a sudden I knew I couldn't cuss. That was bad. I had this new outlook on what was good and what was bad. I knew something was changing in my heart. But here's the thing. I didn't understand what I had been given in the form of a new white line. Because there's this concept. There's this concept called grace that I, to this day, do not understand. And I've been walking with Jesus since I was 22. I went to Bible college and studied this thing. And I still will look at you in the eye and say, I don't understand grace. But it's such an important factor to understand. And in case you're wondering why I'm, I'm motivated to talk about grace, in this book of the Bible, these are just collections of different books that were written by different people. But in the New Testament, the back part of the Bible where Jesus shows up a bunch, it talks a lot, or the guy that does the most talking in the letter writing is a guy by the name of Paul. And what Paul does when he addresses the letter, we don't do this anymore because we don't write letters. We don't write, you know, even our emails are like, sup. And that's it. That's like our introduction. Um, but if you start, if you get past the first, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Romans, and all that, when you get past that, 
Now, bookmark, let me down. Romans, and you get into Corinthians, and I'm not going to read all of this, obviously, but just the word grace, like why would grace be important? Why would it be, un, why, would, why do we need to talk about grace? Because Paul writes in a lot of these letters, if you just go through like the first three verses in a lot of these books, he's like, hey, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle, I'm writing to you, and oh, by the way, grace to you and peace from God. That's in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, he starts out his letter this way. He says, oh, hey, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle of Jesus. Oh, grace and peace to you at the church at Corinth. And he wrote another letter after that. He wrote a lot of letters to the church at Galatia. In Galatians, he writes out, hey, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle. And by the way, to the church at Galatia, grace and peace to you. I mean, it's like all these letters. He was really kind of called up in Ephesians and the church at Ephesus. Hi, I'm Paul. And blessed be God the Father and grace to you and peace from God. So peace shows up. Grace, 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 grace. He writes everybody, all these churches, he's like, grace to you. Here's the thing. He's writing these letters to churches that he planted and he hears how badly they're doing. So he's writing to them going, I'm going to grant you some grace because you're ticking me off. I gave you instructions and you're not listening. I'm going to give you grace though, because I have been given grace. And the best way I can give you the story of grace and what it means and give you some comparisons and maybe walk out of here tonight understanding grace on a different level is I got a picture of a dog I want to show you. She's no longer alive, which is sad, but she's sitting in a friend of mine's car. And that's, you can't really tell in this picture, but that car, that car is a really expensive doghouse if that was hers. Because the next picture shows a little bit better view of what this car was. Now, I'm not a car guy, I don't per se, like I know that goes fast. But it's a Porsche, which in and of itself, that's kind of cool. But this is a Porsche Carrera, not a 911 Porsche Carrera. Four, which I don't mean something else with the engine. And then it's a Porsche Carrera 4S. A buddy of mine named Kelly, some of you know Kelly, he shared this story before, and he let me tell it. But he won this car for a year. He was the top salesperson in his company. And when he won the award, he knew Jesus. So keep that in mind as I tell you this story. Kelly won the use of this car for a year. It's a really nice car that he wouldn't buy on his own because it's $134,000 but his company gave it to him for a year. Kind of one of those cars is like barely street legal from a performance standpoint. So he'd had it for a few months, it was really nice, let his, car, let his dog sit in it. But one Sunday morning, him and his wife were going to church where she worked, a little church down in Alpharetta called North Point. They live up in Dahlonega, which is the way my GPS says it, Dahlonega. And so they come down 400 southbound going to exit 10 off 400. And one morning as his wife's in the mirror doing her makeup, because it's early, it's really early. She had to be at North Point by like seven, maybe before. And so Kelly's driving, his wife's doing her makeup, and he kind of got this, huh, there is a stretch of 400 right here where I think it's pretty impossible for a highway patrolman to sit. I've never really known how fast this car can go. And so in a moment, he made a split decision to open it up, so to speak. And so he did. And if you ask Kelly, how fast were you going? He can't tell you. 
because he said he was gripping the steering wheel so tight and his eyes were focused on the road ahead of him and the armpits were sweating where those drips kind of just, you know, like you feel it dripping off and he's shaking because he knows without looking down, he's going faster than he's ever gone in his life. And he can barely breathe, but he gets to the point where he goes, he has to slow down because maybe the cops can see him. All the while, his wife's doing her makeup. Never flinched, never questioned Kelly. That's how nice of a car this was. So he slows down, his breathing returns to normal, and he looks up in the rearview mirror, and there's a blue light. And he looks at his wife, and he said, Honey, I love you. I'm going to jail. I'm going to lose my job. We're going to lose the house. You're going to have to move in with your mom and you're probably going to lose your job because you work at a church and your husband's going to jail. And Dan was like, what are you talking about? And then as he's pulled over, this highway patrolman who I would safe to say had not gone to church yet that morning based on his reaction to pulling Kelly over. He got out of his car yelling, like they could hear him before his door opened, yelling obscenities at the top of his lungs. The description was every vein was visible. They weren't sure his neck was gonna stay attached. They thought it was gonna just bulge. He's screaming, and I've, I've done this talk before, and I've like tried to, I hurt my lung. I hurt my, I hurt my throat trying to imitate what he, how loud he was yelling at Kelly through the window of the car, and they can understand him perfectly. So he finally rolls the window down. How dare you? Do you have any idea of the lives you were putting in jeopardy? Do you da, 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 da. answer me when I'm talking to you? Well, just so shut up when I'm talking to you. And he finally gets around to the question we all want to know the answer to. He yells at the top of his lungs. Do you have any idea how fast you were going? Kelly just sat there because the cop told him to shut up when he was talking to him. Answer me when I'm talking to you. No, sir. You were doing 160, or I was doing 160, and you were pulling away from me. For whatever reason, the cop turns tail, goes back to his car, opens the door, sits with the door open. Went from yelling telling him how fast he was going, turn tail. I have been pulled over before for speeding. What's the first question the cop asks? None of y'all been pulled over for speeding, whatever. Huh? License and registration. So the cop goes back to his car. My wa Kelly's wife looks at him and goes, you're going to jail. We're gonna lose our house, you're gonna lose our job. I've got to figure out how to get to church now because you're going to be in the backseat of a cop car and, I'm just, and she just falls apart. And then Kelly sees her crying, so he falls apart. They're bawling at the, stupid, the stupidity of Kelly's actions. And so they're actually on the phone. They're trying to figure out how to get his wife to church where she works because the car is going to get impounded. Kelly's going to jail. And he looks up in the rearview mirror and the cop's still sitting with the door open and his leg out, and he's doing this.
Kelly's like, what? And he's just emphatic, doing this. And Kelly looks at his wife and he goes, I, I think he's telling us to go. And his wife went, are you out of your mind? Did you not hear the cop yelling at you? You're going to jail, Kelly. He's like, of course I'm going to jail. Oh my gosh, I was going 100, at least 100. I have no idea how fast I was going. I'm going to jail. So they get on the phone, they make arrangements for his wife, and he looks in the rearview mirror, and the cop has never been more emphatic. He's waving him, he's waving him. And Kelly, this time, doesn't ask his wife. He just puts the car in gear, and he drove off. And he never saw that cop again. That's a true story. Now let me apply this to grace. Let's go back to when he left Dahlonega that morning. And he got to the point of 400 where he thought no one would see him. You guys ever gotten caught doing something you thought you never would get caught doing? Because there was, you thought no one was around, right? That's where we are led to believe. So Kelly had a decision, I'm gonna do this because I think I'm not gonna get caught. But he did. And is there anybody that was willing to stand here and raise their hand and say, I don't think Kelly should have gone to jail. Now, we all know exactly what Kelly deserved. You know how I know y'all know what he deserved? Because we've all been on 400 when that jack leg comes up behind us and was on our tail and then he just zooms by us. And you're like, I hope a cop pulls you over. And do you, I've, had that, I've had that thrill. I've had that emotion like, oh, look, they pulled that jack leg over. Good. He's getting what he, what? Deserves. And as Kelly was sitting there on the side of the road, there were plenty of those cars seeing that car going, ha! Getting what you deserve. Every one of those people are just like you and that if you were the one pulled over on the side of the road, you'd be going, oh God, please let me go. Oh God, please let me go. Oh God, please let me go. And that's the same thing we do with sin and grace in our life. The, the analogies don't end there. For whatever reason, we cannot explain, you cannot answer this question. We can pontificate, we can theorize, we can guess. When Kelly drove off, to this day, there is no record of that incident of Kelly being pulled over for speeding at a high rate of speed. It does not exist. It's gone. And I cannot explain to you why that happened. There's no rational explanation for it. And you know what, I wouldn't be telling you this story if he'd just gotten pulled over for running a stop sign, right? There is something magnificent about the fact this cop waved him on, let him go. I, I heard the story, I've heard it a dozen times. I'm like, that's not true, Kelly. That's impossible. That makes zero sense. It's on and on, just the analogies of what he went through that day and how it applies. He looked in the rearview mirror. He's being granted freedom. The cop's waving him on, and he's looking at the cop going, you can't. I know what I just did. I know how fast I was going. You can't forgive me for that. And if you've ever bumped up against Jesus in our sin nature, if you've ever thought about, man, I really want to go all in on, on Jesus, I, I can't. There's no way God would grant me grace for the acts, for the thoughts I've had, for the things I've stolen. There's no way he could possibly forgive me and grant me grace. 
It's impossible. But that is what grace is in the form of Jesus. There was a gift that God had a plan where he said, my son, I want to look at Jesus, and that's what I see when I see you. I see the redemptive act of him dying on a cross. I don't see you and your thought life and the things that you did or didn't do to help your fellow man. I don't see the fact that you were speeding at a high rate. I don't see the fact that you cheated on your boyfriend. I don't see the fact that you're breaking curfew and, and disobeying your parents. I don't, I don't see any of your sin. I see my son. That's all I see. That is the absolute hardest thing in the world for me to accept. It makes no sense that Kelly was let go that day. But you know what he had to do before he drove off? He had to accept the gift. And that is what I struggle with to this day, is how do I take that grace and then give it away? And if you're trying to get through life without accepting that grace, I challenge you, you cannot give it away. Kelly's led a lot of high school groups, boys groups, and he's had them get pulled over for lots of things. And he has granted them so much grace because he's been given so much grace. Do you think he judges people that are going at a high rate of speed? He knows what he was given. He does not judge them. He gives them grace in that moment. He doesn't drive by and point and go, ha, you got what you deserved. No, no, no. He prays, I hope you don't get what you deserve. You've got to accept it before you can give it. And so, 32, 33 years of age, I was done battling with my dad. I was over it. And so I wrote him a letter. We had daughters at that point in time that I was trying to raise, and I wanted them to know Jesus. I wanted them to know what, what, what it meant to be loved unconditionally. And so I started thinking about all the things my dad had given me that I didn't really recognize before. Yeah, he was a hard guy to love, but man, his work ethic was amazing. And so I wrote him a letter, I said, thank you for instilling that into me. He gave love by giving gifts, which really wasn't a bad thing. You know, when he would apologize, it was always in the form of a gift. So it helped me understand what a love language meant in that sense. He really did love my mom. He loved all of my siblings. But here's the weird thing about my dad and me. It took me understanding grace that I had been given, that I had to accept. And I'm telling you, I was one messed up dude. I went through my high school life faking illnesses for attention. Psychologically, totally screwed up. I got married to my wife with lie after lie after lie that she had to overcome on my part before we were really gonna make it. It's only by God's grace, and she will tell you that, that we are married. So after I learned to accept it, I learned to give it, and I gave it to my dad. And those high beam moments when he came at me, I was able to focus on a new white line. The grace that I had been given, I was given to him. But our, our relationship's a little more unique than even just a father-son relationship. See, when I was born, my natural father was different than the guy I've been talking about this whole time. My mom married a guy, they got pregnant with me, he took off, I've never seen him, never met him. But I was born Van Philip Newell, that was my name. And then my mom met my dad, the guy I call dad. 
and they got married, and he filed for adoption in order to give me his last name. So that we battled for years, and, it, and there was that dynamic, like, you're not even my real freaking dad. Thankfully, I never threw that in his face. Don't know why. But I want to show you something. This should be a full screen here. This is the second page of my adoption paper. So you actually get these, and this is back in 1972. So they actually took a typewriter and went through all those X's and just like, that wasn't applicable, so we're just gonna hit the X over and over again. So don't pay attention to that. But we're gonna zoom in a little bit here. On some wording. It said, let it be known that from the date of the entry of the order herein, legal mumbo jumbo, that said minor is declared adopted for life by petitioner Richard Warren Baird, my dad. In this proceeding and that the relationship of parent and child together with all the rights and with all the responsibilities and duties of the relationship of parent and child shall exist between child and said petitioner. And man, did I enjoy those rights. I lived in a nice house in a nice neighborhood, had my own convertible when I was 16, went to a nice school, got to hang out with some really nice people. I have no idea what my life would have been like with my natural dad, who was AWOL from the Marines and a drunk for all I know. I was given so much by being adopted by Richard Warren Baird, that he would change my name, that he loved me so much, that he would give me his name, which I readily accepted I was two. But my life changed dramatically after that because I got to be adopted. And I'm here to tell you today that if your white line that you focus on in life is anything other than Jesus, if it's the world, if it's what your friends think is cool, if, you, if, it's, if it's what's showing up on your Twitter feed or Instagram feed or Pinterest or Snapchat story, hit me up on Snapchat, at Driebnav. All right, if it's anything other than Jesus, man, you're, you're missing out on grace, that once you accept grace, it can change your perspective on every person that comes at you with high beams on. God is ready and willing to change your name. He is ready and willing to adopt you and only see his son Jesus and not your sins. That doesn't mean you're free to keep on sinning. It means you have a different white line to judge whether you should or shouldn't do something. And that white line does not waver. If you can let God adopt you as a daughter or as a son, the language is no different. It's no different in this proceeding and that the relationship of God and you together with all the rights and responsibilities and duties, you are granted so much by believing in him. An overwhelming abundance of love, of peace, and that new white line to get you through all those high beams in your life. And all of a sudden, the child shall henceforth not be known by my name, but your name shall now be forgiven. Your name will now be grace-filled. And your name will now be child of God. God, I hope you get this. My life is dramatically different 
dramatically different. And I pray that if you're depending on anything in this world other than the white line of grace, you're never gonna be able to enter into a relationship with people in this room, your parents, your friends, your employers who are gonna be just complete dorks. Because you don't have the grace to extend to them to live your life in a way that shows all of the perks that come with being adopted. So I wanna close with this. I want you to focus on the white line to guide you so you can give the grace that you've been given. Here's, here's the last thing I wanna use with the car analogy and the high beams and the windshield before you and the, the car that's coming at you, blinding you. If you can slow down and use the white line to guide you past that high beam moment on the road, if you can put your faith in Christ, if you can get close to the white line of grace in your life, when those people are giving you the high beam moments, whether it's your parents, your coworkers, your friends, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and they are setting you off, if you can learn to get close to that white line, when that high beam moment in life finally passes you by, and that might on the road take five seconds. In life, it might take five days or five months or five years, but you will get through it if you focus on that white line. Once it gets past you, here's the irony of the person that was causing you all that angst and all that trouble. When it passes you and you look up in the rearview mirror, you don't see a blue light. You see all the things that God brought you through in the middle of that season. You see what he helped you avoid. He see how he helped you stay pure. He see how he helped you get that job. He see how you helped repair that relationship with your mom or your dad. And you get to rejoice because the same person causing all that angst is now lighting up your past. And you get to say, I am free from those high beams. I am free from what's causing me angst because I lean on the white line of grace and I am saved and I'm a child of God. And I pray you guys get to experience that in your life. Let me pray for you. I am overwhelmed with your grace. I do not understand it. I don't understand how with the thoughts that I had in my head today, how you could love me. But I claim that grace. I claim what your son did. As my eternal salvation, I claim it as the gift that it is. And I pray, Lord, I pray that you wouldn't let me get ticked off the next time I get cut off in traffic. Pray that you let me extend grace. I pray that when I enter into that high beam moment in a relationship, I lean on you. I slow down, I take a deep breath, and I remember the grace that I've been given so I can trust you, so that I can love you, and in turn love others. God, would you pour out that same grace on the people in this room tonight? May they experience it in a fresh and new way. And I thank you for this ministry. I thank you for the hearts that are gathered here. And I pray over each and every one of them in Jesus' name. Amen.